0: You're listening to Towned, brought to you from beneath the Balboa Building in Santa Barbara, California. I am your host for these Towned conversations, Patrick Melroy. Uh, it is an absolute pleasure to have uh, you back here with us again, or if this is your first time, I appreciate that perhaps even more. We have an extensive back catalog. Feel free to dig back through it and find a conversation with somebody uh, that intrigues or inspires you. Uh, I have certainly had a lot of them, and I feel very privileged. And to n- this afternoon, this afternoon... I am uh, privileged once again to have Joseph Velasco. Joseph comes to us because he is also, like some of our other guests, uh, teaching a workshop at the Community Arts Workshop this spring. Uh, I'm teaching a drawing class and a sculpture class. And Joseph, what is your class?
1: I am teaching a storytelling class.
0: What could I expect if I were in that class or coming to that class?
1: I think the idea of more my belief that everyone's a storyteller we all tell stories stories are what make up our lives and even the little things like what did you do today or how was your day or how was your trip we launch into a little story (laughs) I think I just want to kind of elevate a little bit with people who may not have any kind of background with oral storytelling or the oral storytelling tradition and kind of give them some tools to be able to either share a personal story aka like the moth Mm -hmm. kind of style Mm -hmm. or If they're not comfortable with that, then I have a plethora of folktales and myths and legends they can choose from and find a story that speaks to them um, and learn to tell it and learn to tell it hopefully well.
0: When you, and so when you say learn to tell it, is that how, how closely do they have to hew to the story that you give them?
1: I think one of the things about storytelling, uh, you know, coming from my colleague, Michael Katz and, and dear friend is the idea of memorizing stories versus knowing stories. And when I tell a story that I know really well, it's never the same every single time I tell it. And I always thought about theater and storytelling very similar to music, Mm -hmm. and that when a musician plays a song live, it may not be exactly the way it was recorded um, because of the audience, because of how the the performer or the musician feels. And I feel that way about stories that um, when I'm in the story, like literally, I, I, I feel like I'm literally in the story. And when I'm saying there's a mountain, I really see the mountain, I really see the characters. Um, sometimes other things happen, you mm. know, or mm-hmm. things get left out and it doesn't really matter because I'm, I'm driving the story and I'm in the story. And, and so every time I've told the story, it's always a little bit different.
0: It's about, it's about communicating with yourself mm-hmm. out to, out to yeah. an audience.
1: And it's interesting. Like I choose stories that resonate with me first of all. Sure, like I, f- yeah. I, I find a story that, for whatever reason, makes me laugh, makes me think, maybe me go, "Hmm, wow, I didn't think about that before. That's a different way." For whatever reason, and there are some stories that I go, I just don't stop feeling it. And it's a great mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. It's just not right. a story I want to tell. And um, and so I'm hoping that that to bring that kind of sensibility of like, what makes you laugh? What makes you excited? What makes you? Whatever feel those emotions, because when you really feel those emotions when you're telling a story, the audience will buy into it, because we want to hear stories. I mean, I think we're primed to hear stories, which is why film is such a big medium, which is why you know shows like The Moth are, are, have become really popular. Is that we want to hear those stories because they are a part of our collective consciousness and unconsciousness in figuring out um, who we are as a, as a person, and also to say, oh wow, I'm not the only one who's gone right. through that you know, there are other people who are struggling with these ideas or these concepts or these things. (laughs) With being alive. Yeah, being alive, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interacting with an entire world around us. How did you, tell me about early stories for you, like how, not so much like, oh, this is, um, you know, this is what I did with my day, but more uh, where you heard an organized story, a story that you realized was probably older than the person telling it.
1: Well, I think as a kid I've always loved, you know, comic books and films and, and books and was always, Engrossed in in the stories and, and those types of stories, but and and when I got to college and I became a theater major, I really enjoyed the world of that make believe of, of making an audience for a little moment believe in whatever that world was, you know, mm-hmm. suspension of belief,
0: taking but, them on a journey, taking yeah, them to some place different. Yeah,
1: because my my first experience with theater, live theater, was um, really with uh, Gavilan Community College. I took a children's theater class. Okay.
0: On a lark, <laughs> how does it take a class on a lark though?
1: Um, I didn't. I went to community college because I didn't know what I wanted to do after high school. Oh, literally, okay. I yeah, literally yeah. was like, you know, and I took watercolor painting, and I'll mm-hmm. take an anthropology class, and oh, children's theater—that sounds interesting. How easy a. Yeah. Which it wasn't. (laughs) Shocking. And I was cast as uh, Bertold the Huntsman in Snow White. Okay. And what I didn't know was that the class wasn't just an acting class. The whole class was a production class where you put on a play and they bust in school children. Oh, wow. During the day,
0: it's, the stakes suddenly went up. For yeah. yeah, and so
1: suddenly I find myself like being cast, and there's rehearsals, and there's production values, and I'm I, I'm suddenly wearing tights. So what the heck happened? Like, yeah, I'm I was the heavy metal kid in high school with the <laughs> long hair, you sure. know, like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, and suddenly I found myself making a choice. I could either cut and run and drop the class, or I can say, well, let's see what this is like. And I do remember um, the opening or at least my scene when i came down is i came through the audience because i was in the forest as the Mm -hmm, huntsman mm -hmm. going or taking uh the snow white to cut out her heart and i remember um kids touching my cloak you know which was interesting and having to deal with that and then as i got onto the stage and i pull out the knife and i'm about to you know strike her down right before i change my mind i look over and there's these group of of little girls in the front row with their eyes closed and they're just so afraid and i remember thinking i really wanted my you know my heart went out to them and yeah. i really wanted to say no no i'm just pretending <laughs> but you know i had to be in the moment and and of course i saved her and blah 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 and it went on but i just remember that look of wonder on the children's yeah. faces and and they believe so fervently in what we were doing that i was hooked Years later, after you know transferring to UC Santa Barbara and taking more, I was actually a directing major at UC Santa Barbara. I met through uh, a number of long story how we met, but Michael Katz, who's a local storyteller, I saw him at the Museum of Art here in Santa Barbara telling stories, and I was so blown away by how he was able to create a world with nothing, no props, no props, nothing, no and scenery. The audience was you know in the mm-hmm. palm of his hand, and I was so fascinated by that idea. I approached him and said, hey, uh, I'd like to work with you. And I have this book called In the Beginning by Virginia Hamilton, creation stories from around the world. Hmm. And I had this dog-eared copy of it, and I showed it to him. And, and he said, oh, that's interesting. And I, he said, what do you do? And I said, well, you know, movement and mask work and theater and Chicano theater, all these things. And we, it ended up becoming Boxtails Theater Company, which I think in the fall will be 25 years that they've been around.
0: Wow. Wow, you had those the, the little girls in the front row, who were experiencing something that felt very um, overreal to them, even mm. um, fantastical, and, and and their response was very real. Like yeah. their response was very visceral. Uh, and it's interesting to me that that in your story, as as you're talking about storytelling, there's there's something that that ha, being in the presence of that live thing, even though this is a story, even though though it is not perhaps actually happening in the in the moment. Uh, there's that transportation that happens. And yeah. That that complete. It's not a suspension of disbelief. They know they're in the room. They know they're sitting on the floor or sitting in the front row, and they know where they're at. Um, but there was something that you were doing that they absolutely could not separate mm. from their emotional reaction to right, it. Right. Right. And so, and to hear that, you know, about that idea of like, I don't have any problem. There is no. There's no video display. I, I don't have a pointer. Uh, I only have your imagination of what's right, happening. Right. To 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 start uh, activating that is mm-hmm. such a, such a delicate and tricky thing. I'm so excited about the idea of, of you, uh, initiating people into yeah. that or dri- driving them into that. Are there traits that you, uh, as you meet somebody, you think, Oh, you, you would have a good storytelling skill set?
1: It's hard to put uh, that into words. I, I think there are obviously people who are natural storytellers, people who, um, people gravitate around them because they know they they hold the stories of a family for instance you know there's always that uncle who's Mm -hmm. the funny uncle or there's um there's so many different uh, permutations of that I think in the end it comes down to can the person as they're telling the story you feel as if you're there again you know in that history you know in that moment you know they're telling a story about somebody's grandfather or an event that happened and it's not just a series of then this happened, then this happened, but there's right. these details and there's these moments and there's bits of dialogue and, and suddenly you've, you 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 imagine yourself there, you know, and that you're with them and, and that's, I think, the mark of a good storyteller.
0: Mm. You're, the stories of creation that you've, um, so it's one book that you started with that first mm-hmm. trapped you and, and yeah. locked you into this, and then how far has that investigation gone now, 20 some years later?
1: Well, I still love creation mythology and, and uh, trickster stories and, mm-hmm. and hero stories um we took that very first year with boxtails and we ended up bringing our uh, a friend of ours who's now like a brother to me michael andrews uh who's a wonderful musician and um the the only surviving founding member of boxtails he's still <laughs> doing it um into the fold because he um could play virtually an instrument and he's an, a wonderful singer because i wanted live music that mm-hmm. was really important to me to have live music as part of it um, There's
0: something transportive about music. that yeah, sets sets a yeah, tone. Like I've always been then. a
1: huge music fan. I'm I'm I don't consider myself a musician. I do play you know harmonica and flute and a few things. But um, I thought that was important. The three of us um, created a show called "How Did That Get Here," which was Ooh, creation yeah. stories from around the world for young audiences. And so we had a story about how the world came to be and a story of how the sun came into the sky. Um, And they were all from different cultures, you know, from China and Africa, Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, But the next year, we said, well, we did that. What are we going to do now? And so for the five years that I was in it, the first five years, we created a new show every year. Mm. And the second show was Multicultural Stories. Um, It was called Listen Up, um, Stories to Live By. And these were stories that had a message embedded in it, but wasn't pedantic. It wasn't like, here's the message, kids. It was like, you had to sort of figure out what the message was as the story was going on the,
0: the moral code came yeah evolved rather than rather than reading
1: the, right this is yes and no this yeah is black and white yeah you
0: had to go oh these are colors right, right right
1: and then you know so every year we did something a little different and and i think over the years i think boxtails has maybe created 14 15 different shows mm-hmm. we uh, i know boxtails after i left they um Also tackled the Odyssey. Um, They've tackled Iron John. They've tackled some really big story. They were Ramayana, you know, from India. Mm -hmm. And have done amazing uh, work with with being able to take these epic stories or even small stories and bring them to life with mask movement and uh, music, but also with a lot of the imagination, you know, that we're kind of a minimalist theater company. But as I did more and more research into the origins of stories and where these stories come from, the one thing that I... Was fascinated by was how stories migrate with cultures.
0: They co- they come with the culture yeah. as it arrives in a new and place.
1: so Brer Rabbit's a perfect example of this. Um, Brer Rabbit's stories, many of them have their roots, particularly um, the most famous Brer Rabbit story, Brer Rabbit and the Tar Baby. Yeah, it's originally from West Africa from the people who were enslaved. There's another. There are other tricksters. The, one of the key ones being, of course, the Nancy the Spider, mm, mm-hmm. from many different Western African cultures. And there's a a parallel story that's older than Br'er Rabbit. When people were enslaved and were brought, Br'er Rabbit, you know, a Nazi changed into Br'er Rabbit because if you think about Br'er Rabbit's trickster abilities, he's always tricking the predators, Br'er Fox, Mm -hmm. Br'er Bear, Mm -hmm. Br'er Gator, who represent the master, who represent the the overseer. And so Br'er Rabbit becomes his hero because he can't beat them by being stronger than them. He has to beat them through his cleverness. And so it becomes this metaphor for you know as as a hero, and a trickster. Plus, they're just funny as hell.
0: That's <laughs> where does humor? How do you how do you reconcile humor in a story when you're when you're when you're teaching somebody to tell a story and um, and you're and 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 you know that there's this component that's really funny. Mm. Um, I mean, how do you be funny about the same thing over and over again? I guess how do you tell the same funny story over and over again?
1: Well, I think. There's an art to comedy. I, I totally believe there's an art to comedy, and there's timing, and there's all kinds of things. And I think people have a sensibility of it. I remember not knowing this, but when I was a kid, I was a huge Warner Brothers fan, Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes. And I think a lot of my sense of humor and timing came from just <laughs> the hours and hours I spent watching them, not understanding how brilliant they were in terms of their timing uh, uh-huh. with the use of classical music. Uh-huh. Um, that when Roadrunner and Coyote, when Cody goes off the cliff, he doesn't just fall off the cliff. He goes off the cliff and there's a couple of beats. It's one, two, sign, reaction, down. And it's all rhythmic and it's mm-hmm. all to the music. Hmm. And I remember directing a show at back when I was in, at UCSB and I was doing this really fast paced political comedy called Accidental Death of an Anarchist by <laughs> Dario Fo. And it
0: for the title alone begins, yeah, begins you down the road.
1: Exactly. And it, was, um, it just wasn't, in rehearsals, it just wasn't funny. The actors were working really hard, but it just wasn't funny to me. And I was really frustrated. And the lead actor who was playing the anarchist and I, who was also a, a big Bugs Bunny fan, he was the one who was kind of hitting his marks. And I, I couldn't figure it out. And we chatted. And then we both agreed, oh, my God, we need to have a Looney Tunes marathon.
0: We and, all need to watch yeah. our Looney Tunes, man. So
1: the whole cast got together and we watched, you know, hours and hours of Looney Tunes and we broke it down. We yeah. broke down yeah. why is this funny? Like the timing of it. Like, watch this. It goes one, two, three, boop, rewind. One, two, three, beat. Now it's funny. You know, okay. and it, it, was, it was a revelation to the actors because then the next rehearsal, we were literally crying, so, uh, laughing so hard, we were crying
0: cuz you yeah. and even though it's the same material yeah you're just figuring out how to present it yeah. in a way that, yeah. that that was more that was exactly. more
1: exactly yeah uh, and you look at some of the great comedians you know Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and uh-huh. Lucille Ball and and it's all about the timing
0: i've seen yes i was i was having i was talking about Prop Falls the other day in the three stooges how yeah. i grew up, grew up watching the three stooges same thing and the little rascals mm-hmm. the little rascals and The three stooges not i did not know what i was watching i did not know how to watch what i was watching nobody mm-hmm. told me that and I think the physicality of it, because I couldn't understand the language, of course, that the three Stooges were using. It was a different era, it was yeah, a different yeah. time, it's a different. Their innuendo meant nothing; it flew right over my head. But what doesn't f- fly over your head is kind of this, this, this surprise violence that happens. Yeah. Um, later, I think I, I was, you know, more appalled, you know, by these moments of like, t- of, of, um, of just, you know, like, oh my gosh, that's that's a horrific thing to do to somebody yeah. you're trying to uh, to convince to to go along with you. Um, What, um, gosh.
1: But I would say Bugs Bunny is probably one of my biggest heroes. And I I think in my storytelling, and at least when I'm telling a comic story, um, I'm really channeling Bugs. Yeah. I really wanted to be Bugs Bunny.
0: Because he was... I heard somebody the other day say they wanted to, uh, they had a crush on Kermit the Frog. (laughs) And it was like, wait, why? It was like, well, he was in charge of the show, and he was, you know, just seemed to be, he seemed to be really dapper, and he took everything in stride, and he just, you know, and he was a good singer, and I was like, oh, yeah. Um, What, Bugs? Because later, the commercialization of Warner Brothers at some point really became this um, infestation, I think, in the mall, and, 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 and it was, you know, everybody had a everybody had these, these different characters that they were assigning almost a um, uh, union archetype to. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a Daffy, I'm a, you know. I'm yeah, a, yeah. I'm a this person, I'm a that person. I'm a Marvin the Martian, I remember. Uh, a lot of people wanted to be Marvin. Uh, how did Bugs, how does Bugs exist in your mind as an adult?
1: I think, I think because if you go back to the original cartoons, especially the really early days, he was a subversive. You know, he was a rebel and a cross-dresser. Yeah, you know, he yeah. was just breaking every rule and convention, and and he, you know whether it was rules of gravity, yeah. um, rules of society, um, he just constantly. Which you know, he's he's one step removed from Brer Rabbit, you know. In is terms that of,
0: who he is? Do you think I, that's who they made? I think it was
1: in the back of their head. I don't think it was. I I don't know. I'm mean, I'm not the animator, but but oh, we a can pretend to
0: we can yeah, pretend to be we can experts. Pretend. On this. I, I
1: can't imagine not knowing about Brer Rabbit stories and you create Bugs Bunny, because you know rabbits. You know, in the real world, are these cute little fluffy beings? Yeah, they're not; they're harmless. And yeah. then bugs, you know, he does things that are that rabbits wouldn't do in in normal sort of uh, reality.
0: Which is just the perfect playing against type, right? right. He's just a perfect um, version. Ah, man, I have I, I don't think I've ever investigated my thoughts on Bugs Bunny. I don't think I've ever had to wonder what it was about Bugs that really. You know that that this versus that why did I and that they kept coming up with new foils for him yeah you know Elmer Fudd or um, Yosemite Sam Mm. or you know and it was just kind of these just one after the other It was like okay well we've worn out the hunting Mm. so how can we have another uh, scenario where where his and 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 he would evolve and change because I feel like there's this moment in my mind Bugs Bunny's a Bob Hope yeah, you know, and then he's a Jack Benny, and then he's a you know he's kind of like whatever comedian at the time. Yeah, he's got that kind of mischief going.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely changed over time. I th- I think my favorite ones were there were the earlier ones. Yeah, um, where he's a little more dangerous, mm-hmm. and then he got a little more sanitized as he got, you know, older.
0: He, he yeah he had kind of, I mean the this idea that we would take and heroize hero hero turn into a hero. Lift up, like hero rise. Hero rise. That's yeah. a thing that Bugs Bunny might say out loud. Um, <laughs>
1: what a maroon!
0: Yeah, uh, a character that was that was uh, so um, against the rule of order and against the rule of everything. Like was was a, a constant troublemaker. And and so the more I say, the more I come up with descriptions like that. Like oh, what was Bugs doing? The more I think of Bear Rabbit, the more mm. I think of Coyote, the more I think of mm. of uh, of these these characters that have been so important to culture Mm. because they are magnetic we can't stop looking at them we can't stop listening to stories of oh, what they get up to next and they're not they're not the um, they're not the knight in shining armor they're not the 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 prince on the back of the horse they're the the, they're more closely aligned with the jester they're more closely Mm -hmm. aligned with the sad clown the hobo the yeah yeah. the never really had it man, you know, mm. Houdini's big thing, uh, for escapes. Uh, I remember studying when I was a kid was that he was the everyman bound by the shackles of, of the industrial revolution. And mm. he would break free of any, uh, social norms that held him down. And that was the thing. He was this little guy who could, who could stand up to these, these impossible feats. Mm. Um, and I'm just, I am in, I'm intrigued by picking that as your character that it's like a boring story is when you tell the story about the Prince charming finding, the princess, but if we can just insert in some wacky character yeah. who we actually get yeah, and we really want to know what happens.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of mischief in all of us, you know. Uh, I One of the things, one of the great gifts I ever was given, one of my friends gave me a book called Trickster Makes the World, mm. and it was a um, collection of stories and uh, essays um, about how in many cultures, it's not a separation between creation myths and hero myths and trickster myths that they're all sometimes these tricksters are all of them they're the trickster and the hero and they help to create the world Hmm. in some way you know and uh, the Native American story of how fire was brought to the world is Coyote who oftentimes is seen as this trickster and he's lascivious and all kinds of things going on brought fire which is really um, you know a metaphor for knowledge and Mm -hmm. power Mm -hmm. you know to people because they were cold and he felt sorry for them Hmm. and said let me help you with this I'm going to bring you fire.
0: I want to hear a story. Can you? Can <laughs> you? T- I mean, like, like I want to hear. I want to. I want to. I feel like we've you've you've brought some some uh, interesting objects here. And I yeah, want I
1: brought a few in my pack here.
0: I want to see you. Um, I would. Lo- I would love uh, to have an opportunity to to hear a story.
1: Okay. Well, we've been talking about bro Rabbit, so I think I'm going to start with a bro Rabbit story. See where we go. Um, this is a, a bro Rabbit story I, I love because I gets uh, the audience to do some audience participation. Um, So we'll see how this goes with an audience of one. (laughs) Um, This is a Brer Rabbit story from uh, um, way back when called Tops and Bottoms. Rabbit was having a hard time. Didn't have a job, didn't have no money, didn't have no food. His wife and his kids were hungry, and his wife, well, she was just plumb mad. She said, You gotta get yourself a job. He said, All right, all right, all right. And he went out, and every door he knocked on closed. Got no job for you, Brer Rabbit. We're not even sure if we trust you. And as he was going home, he happened across a farm. And on that farm, there were a whole bunch of weeds. No one had been tilling that land for a long time. And up on the porch, well, there was Br'er Bear. Br'er Bear was taking a nap on a hammock.
2: Br'er Bear? Br'er Bear? Hey, sorry to wake you. It's, it's me, Br'er Rabbit. I, I I was just wondering, Uh, you got this nice farm here, and you got all these weeds. Uh, what's going on? Um.
1: Let me tell you something, Brer Rabbit. This is my poppy's farm, and I don't got the time or the energy to farm it. It's not my thing. I was going to go off to the big city, but after my poppy died, he left me this farm, and, well, it's just not my thing. Hey, I got an idea, Brer Bear.
2: Why don't you let me be the farmer for you? I'll bring my family down tomorrow morning. and We'll plant everything for you, and we'll do all the weeding and the watering, and at the end, we'll split the, the crop 50-50. Huh. Really? Yeah. It's a good deal. And you can just sleep all the time. And you don't have to worry about anything. Zip your lemonade on the porch, and we'll do all the work.
1: Well, let me get this straight. You're going to come to my farm. You're going to pull up all the weeds, plant seeds, do all the weedering and watering. And at the end, we're going to go 50-50. That's right. That sounds like a good deal. It is a good deal.
2: Now, we ought to shake on it, because as you know, a deal's a deal.
1: All right. Let's shake on it.
2: All right. You're not going to regret this, Brer Bear. Now, before I go at 50-50, tell you what. Whatever I plant, you'll get the tops, and I'll get the bottoms. Okay?
1: Uh, okay. See you tomorrow. And the next day, Brer Rabbit did exactly that came with his wife, came with his kids, and a wheelbarrow full of tools and a whole bunch of seeds. And they got to work, and they weeded, and they planted, and then they spent the whole summer weeding and watering and weeding and watering and weeding and and watering until a beautiful crop appeared. And on the day of the harvest, Br'er Rabbit and his family started harvesting a beautiful crop of carrots. And they took all those carrots, and they very carefully cut the green leafy tops of the carrots and put them in a pile, and took the bottoms of the carrots, you know, the part that we like to eat, and put them in a barrel for them.
2: Hey, Brer Bear, we're all done. You're done? Yep, and just like we said, fifty-fifty. Well, here are the tops, and we're going to go to the market with the bottoms. Have a good day.
1: And off they went to the market to sell their carrots.
2: Carrots here, carrots here, we got your carrots. Hey, come on down,
1: and their carrots sold out brer brer showed up hmm tops i got some green leafy tops anybody want some top oh that rabbit tricked me again gosh darn it the next day brer brer was walking by and he got surprised oh brer bear didn't see you standing there listen you tricked me and i'm mad but i believe in giving a man a second chance so you're going to come back and you're going to plant. And you're going to weed and water. And next year, I get the bottoms and you get the tops.
2: Okay. We got a shake on it because, as you know, a deal's a deal.
1: Okay. And sure enough, Brer Rabbit came back with his family. And they planted seeds. And they spent all summer weeding and watering, weeding and watering. And Brer Bear sat on his porch sleeping most of the time, but he kept one eye open. And when harvest day came... Sure enough, they came and they began to pull these beautiful plants of broccoli. And they cut off the tops, you know, the part that we like to eat, and put it in a wheelbarrow for them. And they took all the bottoms and put them in a pile for Br'er Bear. And he came down and said, whoa, 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 what's going on?
2: Well, this year you said you wanted the bottoms and we get the tops because you said, a deal's a deal.
1: Listen. Two years now, you're going to come back next year, and you owe me two crops now. So next year, you're going to come back, and you're going to plant. And this time, I get the tops and the bottoms.
2: Oh. I don't know, Bear Bear. That's a hard bargain.
1: If you don't, I will come over, and I will eat your entire family.
2: Ooh, <laughs> I don't want that. Okay, Uh, tops and bottoms. Okay, because uh, uh, yeah shake on it. A deal's a deal, a deal's a
1: deal. <sighs> the next year came. Brer Rabbit kept his word. Walked up with his family and a whole another crop of seeds. And they weeded and they planted. And they weeded and they watered and they weeded and they watered and they weeded and they watered. Until a new crop came. Brer Bear was standing on the porch with his arms folded, watching very carefully. Now remember, I get the tops... And the bottoms.
2: Yes, sir. You got it. You hear that, everybody? He wants the tops and the bottoms of this beautiful crop of corn.
1: And they very carefully cut the tassels of the corn off. You know, the tops. And they took the stalks of the corn on the bottom and cut them off.
2: But he didn't say anything about the middle.
1: You know, where the corn grows. And so sure enough, rare rabbit had a bushel full of corn and Br'er Bear was left with nothing but tassels and corn stalks. The next year, Br'er Rabbit came back, knocked on the gate.
2: Hey, Br'er Bear, we're back with another crop of seed. Br'er, Br'er Bear, Br'er Bear, where are you? Hello? Oh, Br'er Bear, what are you doing in the field? Why do you have a sun hat on and, and a hoe? And What are you doing?
1: I'm farming my own land.
2: But, but that's our job.
1: Not anymore. It's not no go away.
2: But but what am I going to do?
1: I don't know. I don't care. Get out of here before I do something bad to you.
2: Okay. Bye. Good. Hey, do you need some seeds? Go away. Okay.
1: Well, Br'er Bear didn't have to worry too much because he had learned his lesson. And for Br'er Rabbit and his family, he had saved enough money over those three successful crops that he was able to buy his own little farm. And he never had to worry about looking for work again, and that's the story of tops and bottoms
0: uh, it's i'm i it's uh, i don't want to say i'm i uh, i'm very excited that I got to be here to watch that that was, that was <laughs> <laughs> i think i think back to like those times when they uh, were recording voiceovers for cartoons that i was uh, um that's that's fantastic. It's, an, it's a yeah. it's a wonderful it's a wonderful thing to have in your repertoire to be able to uh, to to pull out a, a lovely story that that how much of that do you play with or do you hold to it really closely?
1: There's a little bit, you know the the crops have to remain the same because it doesn't really work without <laughs> the carrots and then the broccoli and then the corn.
0: Three three crops of beets. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Right.
1: And uh, I think in terms of the dialogue, there are times when Bear Bear and Bear Rabbit have longer dialogues.
0: They go um, back and forth yeah.
1: yeah they go back and forth a little bit more there's times when uh, Brer rabbit can be a little more snarky mm-hmm. um, I think there's one time I told the story with adults and I did a whole much bigger dialogue with rabbit's wife who was really upset with him and throwing <laughs> things at him you know out, yeah. you know and he the kitchen door slams and
2: don't come back until you get a job you
1: know it was like, yeah. oh then he looks at the audience and goes, <laughs> Women, you know, that kind of thing. So, do
0: you, do you look at your audience and think about that? About like, how, where am I going to play it or how long am I going to, like, oh, how absolutely. Much do, yeah. yeah. You know,
1: because I think there are times when I've, I've told stories in front of uh, mixed generational groups versus uh, if I'm telling a story in front of four and five year olds, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and what are they going to understand? And there are some jokes that will go over a kids' heads. So, there's right. no reason to they you just know. love when the, when the voices change. Yeah. Incredibly. They love when the voices change. I like the physical comedy of it. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of facial expressions or I'll do, um, you know, kind of, uh, a little bit of slapstick. Um, and with adults, I'll, I'll tend to be, do the more, um, innuendos and so forth that, that they'll appreciate, you know, mm-hmm. or references. Um, I've, I've done things with, uh, you know, with teachers or when I go into schools and, and, uh, we will say, you know, I'll start off the a story with something like, So how many of you have ever gotten into trouble? Because mm-hmm. there's a Bra Rabbit story called Trouble. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I'll turn to the teachers and how many teachers have ever been in trouble? And that's always like, you know, the teachers are like the kids are looking around back at their teacher, <laughs> you know?
0: No, that yeah, that that moment where you realize your teacher's a real person. Yeah. That has, yeah. So. That has a history and a past that's not just, you know, showing up at class. Yeah. I I have an affinity for Br'er Rabbit. Br'er Rabbit's a real old, in my mind, an old, an old, it holds a nice marker for me. I Mm. remember watching, there's a puppet theater up in um, Vancouver, Washington called Tears of Joy, Mm. and they used to do a, a Br'er Rabbit. Uh, show or that's one of the early shows. I remember is like this live action It's I mean, it's it's exactly what you're describing mm. about uh, the huntsman coming on stage And I'm I'm watching Brer Rabbit behave, you know as a child and being like oh my god This is the height of it like this is yeah. <laughs> like you can just do this people can just make This you can just you know, this isn't television. Yeah. I think I think watching um, Re watching somebody tell a story that's not on television mm. watching somebody do something live and in front of you um, Walter Benjamin, of course, has a, the famous uh, conversation around art in the age of mechanical reproduction mm. uh, from the '30s, where he talks about that—the that, aura of, of live presentation yeah, yeah. and how it impacts you in a totally different way. Because there's no, you know, there's no rewind, there's no, um, uh, there's no buffer between you and, and the story that's happening right yeah, in front yeah. of you.
1: I think one of the things I've always liked about storytelling, you know, and I still love doing theater, but is with storytelling, it's a very direct form of communication because i'm making eye contact with the audience right. i want right. to see them and even when uh we performed with boxtails at the libero we would ask you know the crew to bring the lights up so we could see them yeah i didn't yeah. want to be blinded i wanted to not just hear them i want to actually see them and um that's really important um and it's interesting I, i've done uh, uh, performances and there was uh one particular i think it was just last year where the, it was at a camp, and uh, El Capitan, and the audience—they're all first graders. They're all sitting in front of me, and the parents and a few adults—you know, chaperones—are there. And some of the adults had whipped out their phone mm. and they were, you know, looking at their phone as if
0: they—they—they they, they weren't recording you. They were no, just no. They were just their looking their
1: at their phone to text or whatever. Huh. And I remember asking them, you know, I—you know—I can see you, right?
0: That's yeah that's great
1: you know and I asked them to, you know with, with you know not trying to be snarky but just saying we're here together be here be now yeah, yeah. yeah. and what are you modeling for children Ugh, it's so you know hard. And, yeah. and, and I tried to do it in a really positive way and make a little joke of it but it was interesting because most of them were immediately like oh of course you know like
0: I, they probably didn't even realize they had done yeah. it they didn't it's such yeah. a natural but there thing were
1: there were one or two parents that were um, still continue to do it and I just duly that's noted yeah. Yeah. yeah but I, I remember um uh, when I first started telling stories as a solo uh, artist, because and which was also uh, interesting for me, because I'd always done it with Boxtails, and now suddenly I'm, I'm like telling stories on my own. And like I was, you had some cover there, yeah, yeah, because it's kind of bigger than life, you yeah. know what Boxtails does. And so here I am by myself, sitting on a stool, and with my a few instruments, and <laughs> I'm telling. Uh, I actually created a show that was all Brer Rabbit stories, mm. um, and uh, called Brer Rabbit Sings the Blues, and. <laughs> And I was at Carpenteria, I remember, and a father walked in with his son, and the son must have been six or seven years old and i I remember how it, i went home and I, I you know I get choked up thinking about it, yeah, um so his dad comes in, and you can tell he's a worker, he's a hard worker, and he has some plans like some blueprints, so he's like a contractor or something, and so he brings his son in, he sits him down, and he goes over to the side table and he takes out these blueprints and and a pencil and he's he's beginning to work, yeah. And this, the son's looking over at him, and then I, I don't say anything. I go, okay, so let's start the show. And I get into the stories. And by the second story, I look over, and the dad is kind of like looking over at me. yeah. And Because the audience is laughing. I got the audience in the palm of my hand. I mean, there yeah, are yeah. people hooting and hollering, and laughing. The little library is full of people. By the third story, he was fully, like, no longer working. He's leaning forward in his chair, and he's just watching the show. By the fourth story, he was sitting on the floor with his son. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Can't believe it just skipped me again. (laughs) (laughs) By the last story, he was sitting crisscross applesauce with his son in his lap. Yeah. And they were sharing this moment, you know, like father and son, they're they're watching these stories. And they're, you know, funnier than hell. at the end of the show, he walks up to me, you know, and he says, thank you so much for, for coming here. I didn't know that these were gonna be for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and it just seems so obvious to me, you know? Yeah,
0: right, right, You're, yeah, but, yeah. But
1: it took him, you know, going from, he walked in with an assumption of what what was gonna happen. This and then, is some more daycare. And then for him, to, yeah, some daycare, and then for yeah. him to have that experience with the son. And, and the, the, his son was so happy yeah. to share this with his father. Yeah. Like we saw this together.
0: You gave yeah. You gave them a shared thing. Yeah. Wow.
1: And that was that's when I realized like oh this is really important work.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh.
1: So that's you know sorry I got emotional there but oh. and I hadn't thought of it in a long time until right now.
0: I you know I'm I'm a recent parent and so it's like all of that kicks in for me all yeah. all of these feelings I had no idea I had access to yeah and now that I have a kid I'm suddenly just like oh yeah like. I, I struggle back and forth with that moment of, of, I know exactly what he felt when he first came in. <laughs> I know exactly how that felt to be like, to be like I am, I am behind, I am overloaded, I have too many other things to do, I can't yeah, get them all yeah. done. Um, this is actually great because he's gonna be occupied and distracted and, and he'll have something and then I'll be over here doing my thing. But then to have that moment where you are just can't help yourself. Yeah, I gotta go be with my kid for this. Yeah. That's, the, that's the greatest. It's not even a compliment to you it's you know i mean it is but but it's it's that complement to the to the to the art to the idea
1: well i've always thought that the way i approach storytelling is that while i am the storyteller the stories are gonna were long here long before i came along they're going to be here long after i'm gone and i'm just the conduit right now i'm just the vessel by which the stories are being continued to stay alive and and hopefully passed on to the next generation. Yeah,
0: do you feel like you owe something to the story? Or like oh, absolutely. It's up to, you know, like you have this, this um, you have an obligation to the story. Uh, absolutely. To get it out.
1: Yeah, and to the culture that it comes from, mm-hmm. you know, to honor that as well. I think that's something that, that Boxtails always try to um, uphold in and, and doing research and, and really not playing into stereotypes. Mm-hmm. You know, when we perform stories from other cultures, um, I do remember, uh, in the early years, we went to Oakland, uh, predominantly African-American school, um, and we were telling a story from West Africa called uh, Strength, which is a very, very powerful story about the difference between strength and violence. And in the end of the story, elephant dies mm. at the hands of man, mm. and it's you know one of those stories that is, is, I still tell it once in a while, but it is a really powerful story. I do remember when we we announced it, and uh, Michael Andrews has his djembe, that he's an amazing player, and we said, this next story comes from West Africa, and I wasn't sure what the reaction was gonna be, because none of us are African American, Mm. and they just went crazy, like, whoa, yeah, like we were rock stars. Well, you were honoring them. Yeah, and then the djembe started, and the other instruments, and then we just hit it hard, in these beautiful African masks that were built for us with the raffia, and, Um, at the end, we had teachers coming up to us and say, thank you so much for telling that story, that, that story. We can talk about that story with our mm-hmm. children that mm-hmm. are dealing with violence, that are dealing with not knowing the difference between strength and violence, and it was, it, it was really uh, affirming you know, to say that this is, this is important work. The idea is, is in the end, we are all made of stories and all these cultures have stories there's you know there's a reason why every culture has music and drumming and rhythm and every culture has creation stories and trickster stories and hero stories and isn't that really interesting Mm -hmm. you know that you can hear a story from a culture that seems alien to you and yet at the same time is like familiar
0: do you think it's because us as humans have a lot of the same questions
1: absolutely i do a lecture i have a series of lectures that i've i've become have become not codified, because I think I change them up every year. Um, one of them is uh, How Babies Suck. It's one of my favorite uh-huh. lectures I give in the year about okay. uh, resilience and how you know children never give up because yeah. we're helpless. That's another long story. <laughs> but my other one is about the, the big three questions uh, of the world, and I break it down to the questions are uh, who am I, uh-huh. which is about the present, and it's also, you can, if you took it into community, who are we? The other question is where do we come from? And the third question of course is where are we going? Right. And so it becomes past, present, future. And I always tell my students, I think mythology and stories, religion, science, you know, all these things we're all trying to answer those big three questions. You know, and it's the same questions we've been asking since thousands of years ago and we're still asking them today. Mm-hmm. Who am I? Where did I come from? What's my story? Where am I going?
0: Is that because the or I Or I wonder, is it because the answers are not finite?
1: Absolutely. I think we're always evolving individually. We're evolving as a society. We're figuring things out. But I I always find it interesting that we can find some traction or some some solace or some um, inspiration in these stories. Again, especially ancient stories that, oh, we've always been doing this and we're still doing it and we're still figuring it out and we're still trying to get better and do better
0: when also relitigating that past you see it the older you get the older i get the older or the different the different era that the audience lands in uh when we start to reevaluate our our own experiences we we see them through different lenses as Mm -hmm. we get older and that it's like that that the past never has, the, re, re-looking at the past never has the same answer. Never, right. You never feel the same way about it. Yeah. Let's hear another story, if, you, if you'd be so kind, as to uh, drift into one for me. Well, how much time do we have? I, I have a, well, if, if I look down at the card right now, the digital uh, recording card says that we have six hours and ten minutes left. <laughs> so, as long as it's not a six hour and eleven minute uh, story, we're good.
1: loud enough? Yeah. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, this is a story, a Native American story, and there's different versions of it, but this is a, a coyote story. Uh, it's how coyote brings fire to the people. Cody was minding his own business. But it was a cold, cold winter, and he began to feel sorry for the people who had no fur coats. They were shivering, and the children were crying. So Cody came to them and said, You're suffering. What can I do for you? And the people said, We don't have fur like you. We don't know anything, but we've heard a rumor that there's this thing called fire up on the mountain. Fire, said Coyote. I've heard of this. Tell you what, I'll go find out what it is, and I'll be back. So Coyote spent the day climbing up to the mountain, and he had heard rumors about the fire beings who protected something sacred called fire. Coyote had no idea what it was, but when he got there, he saw that there was something that was flashing and it was loud and it was red and yellow and orange and it was beautiful like a flower and there was heat coming from it. And Gaudi thought, oh, this would be a good thing for people. But he also noticed that it was being protected by the fire beings. And before we go on, we have to describe the fire beings. There were three sisters with green skin and warts and their eyes bulged out in different directions and their lips were a little too big for their face with long black stringy hair and gnarled fingers. Cody didn't think they would want him around. And as the sun was setting two of the sisters went into a small house to go to sleep and they left one sister to guard the fire and he watched her as he fed the fire, The pieces of wood to keep the fire going, and he was fascinated by this. Cody watched all night to see how they tended the fire, when he felt he had learned enough, he went back down to the mountain and told the people what he had learned, and the people said, yes, we could do so many things with fire. We could light up the darkness and protect ourselves from the animals. We could Tell stories. We could cook our food. We can keep ourselves warm. Coyote said, tell stories. Well, if I bring you this fiery, will you tell stories about me? Of course, Coyote. We would love to. All right, then. I'll bring you fire tomorrow. And he went away. And he called some of his friends. And he told them a plan that he had to be able to bring fire to the people. And the next day, he and his friends climbed up the mountain, and they waited for the sun to go down. And they waited. The three sisters were still gathered around the fire. Sister, we're going to go to bed now. You stay here and watch the fire. Okay. And Coyote watched. As the two sisters went into the house to go to sleep, and the one sister stayed awake, well, at least for a while. She looked at the stars, she hummed to herself. But as the night wore on, she began to get sleepier, sleepier, and her head began to nod. <sniffs> oh, oh, no. Mm-hmm. 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 And as she was falling asleep, Coyote began to creep closer and closer on his soft feet. Until finally, just as the sun was beginning to light up the sky in pinks and purples for the beginning of dawn, Coyote was right next to her. And he reached very carefully. And in his teeth, he picked up a stick it had fire at the end, lifted it very carefully, tilting his head, and began to back away very, very slowly. Mm. I have it, he thought. I'm going to bring fire to the people. And as he slowly turned around and began to pad away, he did not see, underneath his feet, a twig that broke. An eye popped open. Another eye. She turned, and she saw Coyote with the fire in his mouth, and she yelled,
2: Sisters! Sisters! Coyote's trying to steal our fire!
1: And the other sisters came running out of the house, and Coyote turned and said, Oh, no. Run! And he began to run as fast as he could, <laughs> with his sisters following behind. <clears throat> Come back here,
2: coyote! Hey, we are going to catch you and we're going to burn you!
1: <laughs> and Cody was running as fast as he could.
2: <laughs>
1: and when he finally got to the one part of the forest, and they were just about to catch him, He took the stick, and he threw it as far as he could, and it went end over end over end into the air, and it was caught by deer. And deer grabbed it in her mouth and began to run as fast as she could.
2: Get her! Get her! said the sisters. And they were just about to catch up because they were so quick, and they reached out with their gnarled fingers, and they grabbed onto deer's beautiful long tail, and they pulled and pulled, and deer pulled back
1: until deer's tail popped off and that's why deer has a small little white tail like it is today and she ran and she ran and she threw the fire as far as she could it went end over end over end until it was caught by skunk and skunk grabbed it and began to run (laughs) Oh, my God, oh, my God. But skunks aren't very fast, and the
2: fire sisters were on her. (laughs) And she screeched down as low as she could, but the
1: fire sisters' fingers raked across skunks' back, and that is why skunks have white stripes on their fur today. (sighs) And she threw it as far as she could, end over end, until it was caught by chipmunk.
2: And Chipmunk began to run uh, 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 through the trees as fast as she could with the fire sisters under. Come back here, Chipmunk. We see you. We'll catch you. And Chipmunk was running as fast as she could. Uh, 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 and she dumped down from the tree. And the fire sisters grabbed onto her tail. And she pulled as hard as she could. And
1: her tail became the big fluffy tail that was gone. Uh,
2: uh, uh. And that's why chipmunks have no tails today. Uh, Chipmunk, uh, she threw it one more time.
1: And this time, it was Frog. Frog caught it and leaped into the water, holding the fire stick high over his head to not get it wet. And as he swam, and swam to the other side. The sisters could not get into the water. They were cursing Frog. Frog, get back here! You know we will hunt you down. We like frog legs. Blah, 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 Until the sisters found a log, and they crossed over, and they were waiting for Frog on the other side. Frog looked at them on the shore. He was trapped. This is going to be the end of me and then he looked and right next to him was a tree with a hole in it he looked at the tree and with everything he had he threw the fire stick end over end until it landed in the tree and the tree knew what was happening and the tree closed the hole up like a mouth with the fire inside The fire sisters surrounded the tree. Give us back our fire, tree! Give us back our fire! And they kicked the tree, and they beat the tree, and they broke its branches. And the tree stood there and said nothing. After a while, the fire sisters gave up. Well, if we can't get the fire out of the tree, then no one else can. And they went back up the mountain. Down the mountain came coyote and deer and skunk and chipmunk, and they grounded the tree with frog. And the other animals looked at Coyote and said, what are we going to do? Tree has the fire. I know, said Coyote. And he went up to the tree. And he spoke to the tree in the ancient language of trees. And the tree whispered back to him. And Coyote smiled. And he picked up two dry sticks from the ground and said thank you to the tree he went back to the people and as he was walking back the people saw Coyote and said Coyote oh he failed as they shivered there in the cold Coyote smiled and said no I did not fail let me show you and he took the two sticks and he began to rub them one on top of the other until smoke began to pour out of the bottom stick and he blew on it, and added a little grass, and the first sparks became a fire, which he fed more sticks, and he showed the people the secret of making fire out of wood, a gift from the tree. And to this day, the people kept their promise. They now tell stories, and they sing songs of coyote who brought fire to the people to save them, and... They also tell stories of Coyote and his brave friends, and that is how Coyote brought fire to the people.
0: Oh, what what an absolute honor uh, to to get to get a um, <coughs> to get that recorded makes me so happy. Yay. in my life.
1: So, in trying to figure out this whole concept of storytelling, you know, as an art form. One of the issues that we had with Boxtails is whether or not the audiences were getting it, particularly since we were telling specifically for young audiences, and whether or not it was going over their head. And so in the very first season, we had the show, How Did That Get Here? Creation stories from around the world. And we had a story called Brother Sun, Brother Moon, and the Pretty Girl. And it's a great story, African Jim and Michael Katzin is from the Akamba people from West Africa. And the premise of the story basically is uh, explains how the sun and the moon came into the sky. And the idea is that brother and sun and moon are, are brothers and they grow up together and they love each other. But as they get older and go into the world, they come across a young woman that they both fall in love with. And in vying for her attention, she invites him to go on this journey. And that journey then becomes a metaphor because they go into this dark forest and they come to this dark lake. And they look into the lake and there's all these trials and tribulations, and the pretty girl has disappeared. And at one point, they asked the pretty girl, have you brought us here so that we should die? And she's gone. She said, no, just look into the lake. Whoever is the bravest you know, will be my husband. And so they look into the lake, and these images appear that, that are hallucinations, and, and they're wild things that are happening. And each time a vision appears, the brothers look at each other and they say, we shall not be afraid. But as each vision appears that's more terrifying than the last, Moon starts becoming a little more afraid. And by the end, he's gone, he's run home. And so Sun is there by himself and he says, I will not be afraid. And at the very end, after the the final vision is gone, the pretty girl appears and says, you will be my husband. And she takes him back to her father, who's a shaman, and says, you two will be married, go back to your village. And let your, your family know. So, Sun comes back to the village very proud that he's you know won the hand of the pretty girl, and finds his mother weeping because, as far as she knows, Moon came back and told her the story that Sun is gone. And when she sees Sun, you know her son, literal son, um, she's overjoyed, and they begin to um, plan for this wedding feast. But Moon, who's been listening to the conversation in a jealous rage, strikes his brother, and so violence is introduced into the world. And as his punishment, um, the mother casts him into the night sky. And so the wedding goes on, and son, as his reward, uh, is put into the day sky to remind us to be brave, to remind us to be strong. And that's pretty much the end of the story. And so we're thinking, great. So we're packing up our belongings. I'm packing up the mass. And this little girl comes along. She must have been third grade with her group of friends, because elementary school girls running gangs. And and I'm at the front of the stage and she says to me, well, if the sun went into the sky and the moon went into the sky, what happened to the pretty girl? And I was completely flabbergasted. I had no idea, because that's just the story ends. My partner, Michael Andrews, you know, it, is listening and he you know, steps up and says, um, well, what do you think happened to the pretty girl? And I went, oh, brilliant. That's a great answer, I wish I had thought of that. And they go off, and I think, okay, great, perfect. And we sort of dealt with that. So just as we're loading into the truck and we're about to drive off, she comes you know, into the, uh, up to the car with her, our truck, we had this big red truck at the time. Um, and she says, we know, we figured it out, we know what happened to the pretty girl. And we said, what? She became the sky. And we said, really, why do you think that? Because then she could always be with her husband. Now, that metaphor is like a mind-blowing metaphor, you know. And it still haunts me to this day in the sense of, like, if a child can come up with that metaphor, like, here I am telling the story. It never even occurred to me to try to finish the story or figure out where it goes. And, and it just was – and we would get back these pictures. The kids would draw us pictures of incredible detail that not, was never on stage you know, that they would add stuff to it or they would, you know, write these letters. And I still have a lot of them, you know, from those days, but I just remember thinking, oh yeah, they get it. They get it way better than a lot of adults. And so that, that really for me was the, the moment when I realized that we don't need to pander to children. We don't need to talk down to them, but we should invite them into the world as equals.
0: And also the, the fact that you would validate that, is yeah. that you would recognize that they had given you this, this extra layer. Is, is huge as a storyteller, I imagine.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that I've always thought of it is, is it's a conversation. You know, I'm having a conversation with you and, and I've always, when students or, or young people, uh, sometimes when they're wrong, they will interrupt the story, you know, because it's live. And they'll and you'll say something and they'll, they'll raise their hand and they want to share. <laughs> and it's not like heckling. It's no, not, they're not. not trying, they're not, they really want to share at that moment. And so, you can either tell them to shh and, you know, sit down and whatever, or you can for a moment acknowledge them and invite them and somehow find a way to weave that into the story. And I'm not perfect at it, but I definitely try to acknowledge that you're having this moment and, you know, let's let's get back to the story. But, wow, that was a really great idea. Or, wow, that's a really good question. Let's come back to that. Or, you know what, let's see, you know, what else happens. But just trying to always validate young people and their their imagination in the moment.
0: Did you, when when your children were young, um, did you, how much, your storytelling, did you, do you have your your, your big storytelling and mm-hmm. small storytelling that oh, happens yeah. with them? And so I'm, I'm just like, is every night, do you get out the uh, the flute and the, the noisemakers and?
1: Yeah, they're 18 and 14, I'm still doing it No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, when they were very little, yeah, when they were young and even with cousins or friends, uh, you know, with sleepovers, I would tell stories. Oh. Um, Sometimes uh, I would read the story, but sometimes I would tell them a story. Uh, my favorite one, though, and I, I actually wrote down some of the notes, and I'm actually trying to piece it back together. Um, I would improv stories. I would hmm. just make up stories. Mm-hmm. And there was a sequence of stories that I have notes for somewhere in one of my notebooks, and it was about two brothers, Doom and his little brother, Happiness. And Doom uh, was a uh, the older brother, and he was – A very quiet child, um, loved his mother, um, was very polite, but knew that he was going to grow up into the evil villain Mm. named Doom who was going to be, you know, with the the big boys. (laughs) But in the meantime, he was a sensitive child who really liked to knit and loved hockey and had these interesting hobbies. And Happiness was his little brother who was just a brat and was always getting into Doom's things and constantly annoying and and I just remember, just improving those ideas. Yeah. And uh, there was one time when Doom was trying to knit a sweater for his mother for Mother's Day, and Happiness kept unraveling it. And uh, and then uh, they had an older sister named Peace who was supposed to be babysitting her and them, but she was kind of spacey and would forget that they were around because she was always talking to her boyfriend on the phone and just all these sort of random things. And so I would just improv these stories, and basically they, you know, I just try to make them laugh.
0: Do you you think that that kind of um, building of stories is, uh, I mean obviously you are, it's in you to be that kind of storyteller, but do you think that many people could access that kind of storytelling if just given kind of the permission, given a, a platform, or given like you were saying, like a sleepover becomes that excuse to kind of access a story, hmm. and telling them that you, you know, somebody who's not a, a trained storyteller or somebody who's grown up as a storyteller, but it's like giving them a place, you know what I'm saying, yeah. like a, like an access trigger or a, a point to say like, oh, you should tell stories. This is how this is how you begin or this is how you initiate.
1: Well, I, it goes back to what I said earlier. I think we're all natural storytellers. It's yeah. how we communicate in the world. It's how we share what happened and how we share what's in common with each other. Mm-hmm. And um, you think about everything from having a conversation with your friends. You go on vacation. You share these stories of what happened. Um,
0: but usually, yeah. doesn't involve doom and happiness and like no giving. No. I mean, that's so great to personify these these emotions or these feelings and then t- transitioning them into actual characters. Yeah, and building them out and extending. Them, I mean, knitting. Doom likes to knit. Yeah. I, that, that feels like that's an echo of something you saw in a child, but then simultaneously just like, oh, that, look, that would be an interesting juxtaposition. That would be an interesting thing to, to add to Doom's, to, to a creature that is going to become Doom. Yeah. What, what would the opposite of that be? Knitting. Knitting,
1: yeah. 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 <laughs> and loves his mother yeah. very much. I think for me, I've been trying this year, uh, I have two things I'm trying to do different this year. One, uh, I was telling some Colleagues of mine, I'm trying to teach with more joy, just mm. in general. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. come in and, and be a more positive person, and playing music, and having conversations with students that have nothing to do with school. Just not hey. just coming
0: to work, but being glad to be there. Yeah,
1: and yeah. really, you know, make that happy and um, joking with students more, and and uh, not getting upset if a student is late or if they're not turning in work. Just like literally not, like literally saying, okay, they must be having an issue, and let's try to figure that out. And um, and the second is trying to get them to talk to each other more, because I realize so many students don't know each other. You know, they, right. they come in the classroom and they sit in the class and they've never had an opportunity to talk to each other. And so I have, my, I have them facing each other in groups of four and now I'm having them get a, move around and saying, okay, you all have a card. If you have a four, you have to go sit with the other fours and mm. here's have this conversation about this question on the board or, you know, has anybody ever had a dream about flying? Write, tell a story about that, or whatever it might be, whatever writing prompt we're doing, and it's been really fun. The kids are enjoying it, and I'm definitely enjoying it. So, you know, and I'm getting a lot more work out of it as well.
0: Have we reached it? Have we achieved it? Do you think? I think so. We I think. You, nice yeah. You can find out more information at sbcaw.org/forward/slash/workshops. Uh, or just from their main page, you'll find the workshops. They When is your first one? When is the first class?
1: Tuesday, February 26th. So it's coming up. Coming up soon.
0: Yeah, that's very exciting. Uh, and it's how long, how many weeks?
1: Six sessions. Perfect. And the workshops are about two hours each. That's great. And the only thing the person has to bring is themselves. And I will be providing notebooks and, um, you know, the exercises to try to unlock everybody's inner storyteller
0: the bravery comes in in just showing up just yeah. that's that's the literally the hardest part everything after that is a huge success and cannot be done wrong
1: i will guarantee you that it'll be fun like i think one of the things that i've always enjoyed about some of my mentors who taught me is that when you play together you know you don't feel like you're in a class it's not we're going to sit there and I'm going to lecture. It's like, no, we're going to do things and we're going to have fun together. We're going to be silly. Mm-hmm. And then later, the serious stuff will come out. But let's just play. Let's just be in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for being in this moment and for coming down and, uh, and doing the podcast. This, is, uh, this has been an extraordinary amount of, of uh, good conversation for me. So thanks. Thank you. And now, uh, as a tradition of our show, you're going to write a postcard to my mom.
1: Oh, okay. She has, okay. A,
0: she has a, a wall of postcards from everybody who's ever been on the show. So. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where's your mom from? She your lives up in, in Ridgefield, Washington. Those are the postcards. You feel free to pick from uh, whichever one is the cheesiest. Uh, oh, this looks great. We have a series of cheesy postcards. Here's the pins right here.